0: Um, in fact, we put it on the market last Friday and by Monday we had four offers. Wow. And uh, in the end, two people were fighting over it. So I said, like, keep going, yeah, keep going. You know? <laughs> I felt like, what's that comedian on the television who goes, fight! <laughs> Is it? What's Anne. name? Harry That's Hill. It. Harry, no. no. Harry Hill. Harry Hill. Harry I'm Hill. Yeah. Oh, sorry, and Harry carry something. Get on with it. More money. Anyway, it's uh, we sold it for the asking price. It's amazing. Yeah, we've just been out this weekend looking for... a Place to live, and it looks like we're going to be living in Swanley. That seems to be where it is, except that uh, I haven't had the opportunity to make an offer on the house here yet. That will be done tomorrow. So pray for us that God will open that door, and we'll be back in South. Well, can't uh, Swanley's not South London, is it? It's Kent. No, it's Kent. <laughs> but never mind. It's nearer nearer London than so, nearer South London than what we are now. So it's it's good. Anyway, Galatians chapter five. Verses 1 to 6, and then uh, uh, verses 13 and 16. Amazing how these things fit with what God... Jamie texted me earlier in the week to say, you've got a title for your talk? And I texted back and said, I haven't a clue. Because <laughs> I hadn't a clue what I was going to do. Well, that's good, isn't it? Anyway. Uh, and it sort of, uh, God was speaking to me through the week, and then Friday I sat down and I felt... So Galatians five, one to six, and then thirteen to sixteen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you want to all say that together? After three, one, two, three. It, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I hope you've got that because that's true and God wants to set a few people free this morning from stuff and you need to take hold of that it's for freedom Christ set us free not to be burdened again with the yoke of slavery, I'll read the rest mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised Christ will be of no value to you, hallelujah guys (laughs) we don't need to be Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to free, to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. But do not... Sorry, I've done that bit. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We often put the desires of the flesh down as sort of sexual immorality and that kind of thing, which it is. But we forget that it's more than that. It's it's just so being negative about other people. That's indulging the flesh. That's the point. So we have to be very careful. And uh, what you're just doing about a fast of negativity is very apt this morning. What you find when you look at the life of Jesus is that he offended the religious leaders. You may have noticed that when you read the Gospels. I don't know whether he did it deliberately or not. I've got a sneaky suspicion sometimes he might well have done. But he tended just to offend them all the time. And he challenged their legalistic approach to faith because they'd missed the point of the law the point of the law was actually to bring them into freedom not to tie them up in legalistic approach to life the problem is most of us say and in this modern day and age we say we don't like rules i know when i was growing up i used to say i don't like rules and I guess there are a lot of people who would say we don't like rules but you know, we make our own. We do. We've all got rules that we live by and some of them are good and some of them, you wonder where they came from. I remember a lady who we knew and uh, Terry Virgo has told this story so you may have heard it. Um, her mum, her daughter was watching her cook the meal one day and she said, mum, why when you put the lamb in the roasting dish, do you cut the end of it off and put it in separately? And she said to her daughter, I don't know. Grandma always did that. We'll ask her. When we go to see Grandma next, we'll ask her. So when I went to Grandma, they said, why is it you put the lamb in the dish and cut the end off first and put it in? So she said, well, it wouldn't fit the dish. And that's why she did it, because it didn't fit. So she cut the end and put it in separately. And her daughter thought that's what you did. So it was a rule that she did it by. But it made no sense at all. I had a friend who was in the in the air force. And he was told because there was the Air Vice Marshal was visiting their camp. And he was told to repaint the white line down the middle of the road and the curbstones just to make it look nice. So he's painting this white line, he kicked a pot of paint over in the middle of the road and it made a washed mess so of course the sergeant major came along and said you've got to make that look as if it's meant to be there so he painted it into a big triangle with an arrow pointing that way and an arrow pointing that way thought that looks about right and that was it, left it years later he was in the area and he thought I'll just pop in the old camp see if there's anyone around I remember and he walks up the path and there's this triangle still beautifully white with the arrows (laughs) so he said to the guy in the office What's that for? He said, I have not a clue. He said, but we have to make sure it's kept white and painted. <laughs> you think, what's that all about? Because, you know, we're like that, aren't we? I bet there's rules in your life. You don't even know what they're about. You know, <laughs> mum used to do that. Dad used to do that. Or well, it's just something you made up. But the problem is, we give ourselves to that as if It's important. And uh, in the end, I wonder whether the Pharisees all the time and their children growing up wondered what it was all about sometimes, the laws they had to keep and the rules they had to keep. What's it all about? And I wonder how many of them said to their children, I don't really know, but we have to do it. So we have to be very careful how we make rules and what rules we make. And, but the problem is when we make rules, what we tend to do with them is judge other people by them. So you might go to dinner with somebody... And you watch the lady putting the meat in the oven and she doesn't cut the end off. You say, well, she hasn't cut the end off. That's not right. You're supposed to cut. It won't cook properly if you don't cut the end off. (laughs) Now, what are you doing? You're making a judgment based on your value system that is totally irrelevant. And I know that's a silly thing, but I guess we do it all the time. I wonder how many of us do it when we're driving. We'll change the subject and move on. You know, we think we know how to drive. My dad used to think he knew how to drive. and I suppose he did in the early days, but he developed some bad habits in his old age. And I'm hoping I'm not developing the same habits in my old age. And he used to drive always with his outside wheels on the middle lane line of the... He always did it. He drove right in the middle of the road all the time. I don't know why I suppose he didn't want anyone to overtake him. And, you know, he'd drive along and there'll be a car in front, and you say, look at that idiot driving in the middle of the road, why didn't he get over? And you think, hang on a minute, you do it all the time. <laughs> I hope you're getting the point here that you know we have these strange things that we make up. And in one sense, you see, we do it in our Christian lives. We make up rules about how we should do church, how we should live our life, and then we base that on what we think everybody else should do. And it's a dangerous place to be. Isn't it interesting? Now, this may shock you, this statement. Jesus broke all the rules. He spent a long a time breaking the rules. He did it all the time. And the Pharisees didn't like it because they had taken what Jesus meant or God meant, to help them, to release them, and they made it into something that became heavy and burdensome, and even embellished it so that it became something it wasn't meant to be. Jesus always kept the laws of the land, but not the laws of the Pharisees. I met a person some time ago who told me about a neighbour of his who was a Jew, Uh, this is a modern day story he was a Jew and because in the law it says you must not carry a burden on the Sabbath he wouldn't wear his false teeth (laughs) on Saturday because they weren't his so if he put them in they were a burden and I thought that's bizarre that's doing something with the law it was never meant to do. It's, it's making him a prisoner to the law. And probably, when he's walking down my road like that, he's feeling quite justified. Well, I'm alright. I'm, I'm a wonderful law keeper. I don't carry any burden. I don't know whether he ought to take his clothes off as well. <laughs> if you're not supposed to carry a burden on the Sabbath, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> I remember a, a lady in uh, a Baptist church that I used to belong to a long time ago. And she would not put any electricity on, on a Sunday. She wouldn't cook on a Sunday. And she wouldn't get on the bus to come to church on a Sunday. She'd walk down the road and we always went past and picked her up and gave her a lift. And she would say, I can't do that because it says in the Bible... You must not work on the Sabbath. The fact that this was not the Sabbath, it was the Sunday, is another story. But it was these are rules that were made up by evangelical Christians. So that Sunday became the Sabbath, and you mustn't do anything on a Sunday. You mustn't work on a Sunday. Well, okay, you need a day of rest. That's what the Bible says. But work, and she was saying, if I get on the bus, if I put the lights on, if I turn the oven on, I'm... Encouraging people to work. Now, the fact that the bus would be running anyway, and the lights, you know, the people at the power station would be, I don't understand it. And you think, well, what is she playing at? What's that all about? She's actually making it like a straitjacket for herself, because that's not what the law ever intended to be. In fact, Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've turned it upside down. You've made it a burden. The Sabbath was meant for you to rest, because I believe in rest. Not that there's a set of rules you've got to keep on one day of the week. doesn't matter what you do the rest of the week, but you've got to keep them on that day, because that's the Sabbath. So I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying here. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, he walked through a field and he picked corn and he rubbed it and he started and ate it. He was judged by the Pharisees because he was working, and that wasn't allowed. But he didn't sit it that way. He was free from the law to do just what he needed to do to supply his physical needs. He talked about David eating the bread that was not right for them to eat in the temple because he had need to eat and those companions that he had with him needed to eat as well. So Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He picked corn on the Sabbath. He spoke to the Samaritan woman which you shouldn't do. Samaritans, you don't speak to them. Jesus spoke to her. Can you imagine? Jesus walked up to a crippled man and he lifted him up a man that could never walk and he walked and the Pharisee said you can't do that it's the Sabbath I mean it's it's bizarre but folks we do it all the time in life about all sorts of things and you know let me ask this question I wonder if Jesus walked into this church and spent a week with you how many rules he would break <laughs> I wonder how many rules he would break. You would say, Jesus, did you see what he just did? He can't do that. Well, what what he would be displaying is, that's one of your rules, not one of his. And we have to be so careful that the rules we make up are not our rules, but are his. Now, we need rules, we need law. But it's not to burden us, it's not to tie us up, it's to free us. To be who God created us to be. And much division in the church is caused by those who expect things to be done by their rules. Look at worship. For an example. Worship, Jesus said, that is not to do with style, is to do with heart. So you get I heard somebody say once to me, we were walking out of church, they said, the worship was terrible this morning. And I said to them, hang on a minute, the worship wasn't for you. Let's ask Jesus what he thought of it. <laughs> it's for Jesus. Worship's for him, not us. Now it's great to enjoy Boy, worship. Of course it is. But we can't then say, oh, it was terrible. Well, Adam Lord, was that terrible? Now if there's a congregation of people all doing their own thing and enjoying themselves because they like the music but actually their hearts are far from God then God would say, no, I didn't enjoy the worship. But if there's someone sitting in the worship singing one of the songs out of tune because they can't <laughs> sing and getting the words wrong but in their heart they're loving God God would say, oh, that's wonderful, I love that. Because that would be sweet to hear. But we do make judgments about the worship. I like this style, I don't like that style. It's not for you. Now, it's good every church we go to would be slightly different, probably. As long as that worship is genuine, and God would, it's irrelevant. This morning, the presence of God was very powerful in the worship. I'm sure God's sitting in heaven going, Yes, that was great this morning. I was being exalted. I was being glorified. I remember being in a church many years ago when I was in the London City Mission. I'd gone up north to do some work for them. And I'd gone to this very traditional church. And it was bizarre. It was like going back to the last century. (laughs) The church was panelled with oak panelling, the seats were tiered like a lecture theatre. And sort of round. The guys were all dressed in pinstripe trousers and black uh, tops with bowler hats, rounded collars, just like you see on the telly, you know, back in the old days. And I'm thinking, this is like walking back into, have I gone into a time machine? The ladies all long dresses with hats. I mean, it was just bizarre. Really bizarre. And that the hymn board was up with the hymns. And I was in that meeting... And neither before or since have I been in a meeting where the presence of God was tangible. And it taught me a lesson. Don't make judgments based on your rules. What you like and what you don't like. I accept any form of worship as long as it's from the heart. And it was interesting that I had... We went through a traditional hymn sandwich, if you like, hymn, prayer, hymn, prayer, Bible reading. But it was powerful, powerful. And when I got up to speak, I couldn't. I was so overcome by the presence of God, I couldn't speak. I was choking. And and by this time, all the people out there, the guys particularly, were going... Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Now I don't know if that was because I wasn't going to speak. (laughs) And they were all excited about the fact they might go home. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't. (laughs) But they detected something. That I encountered God in a way that I hadn't before. And haven't since. So can you see the point? We make rules even though we don't believe in them. And we judge everybody else and everything else them and as i've said already we division in the church can be caused by that jesus said didn't he the time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth that's the kind of worshipers the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in true truth so god is concerned with the spirit of worship more than he is with the form of it Now, there's nothing wrong with liking different types of music. That's that's fine. That's our personal taste. What we mustn't do is then judge everybody else who doesn't like that, or doesn't use that form of worship, or judge them by that. I remember in the Baptist church I grew up in, guitars were banned from the sanctuary. You weren't allowed to take a guitar in the sanctuary. It was seen, the organ was allowed. And I can remember being a rebellious young man, saying to the deacons one day, can you show me... Where the organ is in the Bible, please. I can see a harp and a lyre, which is a sort of guitar, but I have never seen an organ mentioned in the Bible. And they kind of, because well, there's no answer to that, is there? But as far as they were concerned, that was the instrument you used in church. You didn't use any, not even a piano was allowed. Could they use a piano in the back hall? And you could use a guitar in the back hall. But you couldn't use them in the sanctuary, and then the other question arose what do you mean by the sanctuary yeah, But isn't that something to do with the old testament when there was a curtain and God dwelt there and you couldn't go in isn't that what do we do with in the new testament in fact God's everywhere isn't he so he's in the sanctuary and he's in the back hall but you see if you'd asked anybody why Have you made that rule? They probably wouldn't be able to tell you. It's just a tradition. That's what we've always done. But then if they went to a church that had guitars at the front, they wouldn't they'd sit there with their arms folded, because this isn't right, this isn't right, this is terrible. You know, you haven't got an organ. (laughs) Remember sorry I'm telling a lot of stories, but I I think they're important because they illustrate the point. There were two ladies, old ladies, in the Hebrides. And they prayed for years for God to bring revival to the Hebrides. They prayed and they prayed. One day a guy came running up the hill and said, It's come! It's come! You must come to the chapel! And they went to the chapel, all excited, walked in and there was mayhem. There were bodies lying around, there was people shaking, there was people crying and wailing. And they looked at it and said, This isn't revival, and walked away. Oh. And missed it. And they prayed for it for years. What happened? They had conjured up their own rules of what revival looks like. And when they saw the genuine thing, they missed it because they had decided what revival was, and yet they prayed for God answered their prayer and they missed it. Mm. Folks, we we don't want to get there, do we? No. We don't want to get into a state where we miss the blessing of God because we've decided. Mm. Our rules. Not God's rules. I can remember my son uh, when he was young saying to me, "Oh, he's young; he was sort of thirteen, 14 Dad, I want to get my ear pierced, and I'm thinking, "Oh no, terrible!" Well, I was brought up to think that was not good. Biden says, "No, don't do that." And that was my assumption. Um, and so he said, "Dad, can I?" And said, "No. Why not?" I said, "I'll." Come back to you on that one. (laughs) So I I spent ages in the Bible looking for a reason to give him that he couldn't have his ear pierced. Only to discover that in the Old Testament it was the guys who had their ears pierced. (laughs) Because they took their earrings out and pulled me in the offering. And I'm thinking, Oh no, please Lord, there's got to be another verse that says that's wrong. And there wasn't, I couldn't find one. So I had to go back to him and say, I've got no reason to say I don't like it. It's not my personal thing. But you're free, son, to do it if you want. Now, if he'd have asked me that five years before that, I would have had a good reason to say no. Because it was a clear sign then that you were a homosexual. And I said, if you have your ear pierced, then people would say, ah, oh, look, he's got the sign. But that's no, nothing to do with that. It became a fashion statement. Nothing to do with that anymore. So I had no reason. And he did, he got it done. I think it lasted about a year and then he didn't bother wear it anymore so it was a passing phase. Anyway. Tattoos. That's another one, isn't it? If you, I don't know whether you get me on this but if you grew up in evangelical Christianity these were the things that were taboo. Tattoos were taboo. I like that. That's good, isn't it? Um, I'll, I'll tweet that later. <laughs> and... Uh, You didn't do it because there's one verse in the Old Testament that says about marking your body. And actually it's got nothing to do with that at all when you read it in context. But that's what they made out of it. Again, it's taking the Scriptures and extracting something and making it something God never intended it to be. It's what the Pharisees did. It's what we do. I had a friend of mine, well, actually it was uh, David Corson, if you've heard of that name. He had a friend who was a Baptist minister... And he had a couple of hell's angels that got converted. And they were covered in tattoos. And he baptised them. And this particular guy, he baptised him. And when he came up out of the water, one of the tattoos had gone. It was the hell's angel tattoo. But the others hadn't. And I'm saying to God, why didn't you take them all off? <laughs> And God said to me, because that was the only one that offended me. And I just realised, I'm more prejudiced than God is. You know, we've got to be very careful what we call right and wrong. We've got to be very clear, does this offend God or doesn't it? If it offends me, that's my problem. But does it offend God? It doesn't matter if it offends me in that sense. Although we should never go out of our way to offend one another. You understand that. I'm not giving you permission to offend one another. That's wrong. But if I'm offended by something like that, it's my problem to deal with it.
1: Mm. I
0: can't then put that on somebody else and make a judgment based on it. So, proper church. I remember people saying to us when we started at a house church, but you're not a proper church. Well, why not? Well, you haven't got a building. So, you're alright, you're a proper church you've got a building. We weren't a proper church. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what, what is church? Well, church isn't t- anything to do with buildings, it's people, isn't it? We're called out ones, we're the church, but we've transferred that. And now these people that said that to me weren't religious people, they were genuine born-again believers. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what, what are they talking about? We're not a proper church. Wherever God's people gather, isn't that church? doesn't matter where it is. In fact, in In the New Testament, they didn't have a building either. They met in the temple courts. And in each other's homes. And yet we we don't read that bit. We think, well, today we've made a new rule. If you want to be a church, you've got to have a building. Well, we are the building. And we need to... There's all sorts of rules. Must wear your best clothes on Sunday. Who said? I mean, what's that about? I'm not saying you shouldn't. If you want to, feel free. And if that don't wear your worst ones, that's just silly. You know, be tidy. Don't go silly and say, oh, he's not very godly this morning, he hasn't got his suit and tie on. But I know churches that would judge you for that. Or oh, not ladies not wearing your hats. Look at all the women in here, not without that. How outrageous. You haven't got your hats on. A good example of how we respond to wrong thinking is the whole area of evangelism. There are two myths about evangelism. One, I must tell everybody I meet I'm a Christian and tell them about Jesus. I don't know about you, I grew up with that. And it kind of crushed me. Because I was very inward. As a person, I didn't like talking to anybody about anything. And to talk to them about Jesus, well, forget it. So what did I do? I avoided non-Christians. I didn't go near them. So I didn't have to worry. And I lived a happy little life, just mixing with Christians and not going near non-Christians. At school, I gave most of them a wide berth. And I didn't spend time with them in the lunch time or in the break time. I'd keep myself to myself so that I didn't have to tell them about Jesus. That was a rule that was imposed on me by the teaching of the church I was in. It's out. we must. It was a law. And I was coming under it and feeling guilty. One day I was having a conversation with God because I was feeling terrible about it. I'm saying, God, I don't like telling people about you and I've got no ability to do it and yet I know I must. And every time I'm in a public place when there's people around, I'm saying, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? If I'm on a bus, I think I'll get off the bus. (laughs) It's seriously like that. And God just said to me this, he said to me in a loud voice, not audible, but you know when you know God's speaking to you loudly? Yeah. <laughs> he said to me, you don't have to tell anybody about me. And I went, that's, that's not right. That can't be right. I was taught by the Baptist, pastor that you, had to, you don't have to tell anybody about me. And I said, well, so what do I do then? And God just just be, who I've made you to be live your life for me I will give you opportunities to speak to people about me I will give you opportunities to pray for people but you mustn't feel under obligation at all just be open to me and take the opportunities I give you do you know it just set me free I didn't have to do it anymore and then I found I'd be in public places with non-Christians because I didn't mind them anymore Because I thought, well, I don't have to tell you about Jesus. (laughs) You know? Go to hell then, I don't care. No, that's that's what I'm saying. Uh, That's not true at all. I just was free. And I found every day I was getting an opportunity to speak to people about Jesus. And I think, I don't believe this is happening. Because what had happened was, I was under law. And God set me free to be under grace. To be who I am. And people would come and ask a question that I could easily answer. Or, I was on an aeroplane recently with a... And I was standing at the back waiting for the toilet. Have you ever been at the back of an aeroplane waiting for the toilet? And there's several people waiting for the toilet. You've been like you know, you about like this. And you're sort of smiling at the person. But this guy was standing there, and he was a Muslim, and it was obvious he was. He had all the gear on, the long beard, and all the other stuff they wear. And so I thought, well, I can't just stand and ignore him, can I? So I said, Hello so he said hello I said "Um, where are you from he said I'm from Afghanistan I said oh I'm a Christian we pray for you and he said oh but I'm a Muslim I said well we still pray for you can I pray for you now he said thank you so I did I just prayed for him God will bless him God will open his heart to know the power of God and then that was it. I thought, well, I can't do anything else. You know, well, I went back to my seat. When we got off the plane and we we're in the baggage hall, he was up there and I was over. He came. He, I could see him coming. He came straight for me. And he just shook my hand and said, "Thank you very much. Have a nice day." And off he went. And somebody said to me later, "Do you know he's probably you're probably the first Christian that's ever done that." Now I don't know what the outcome of that's going to be, but he said, "I'm free." I didn't, I wasn't standing there thinking, oh, what am I going to say? I need to tell them about Jesus. Sorry, I was just standing there and just said hello. That's what it's about. It's not feeling that you have to. The other one is, it's not my ministry. <laughs> Loads of people have told me that. Yeah, I'm not an evangelist. You know, there's, the Bible says there are prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Not me. I'm <laughs> not an evangelist. Again, it's a misunderstanding of what the scripture says. No, you may not be an evangelist. God may not have called you to be one. But what he has done is called you to be a witness. You know, In Acts, he didn't say, you will be evangelists. He said, you will receive the Spirit and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, America, ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses, not evangelists. We're evangelists. Were they particularly gifted in speaking the gospel in meetings and places like that? They've got an anointing for that. And they've got an anointing to prepare God's people to be evangelists and to be missional and to use the gifts they've got out there on the street. I understand you went out on the street and did some stuff the other week, some treasure hunting. That's just being a witness. And it's just being who you are. It's taking the gifts that God's given you out of the building into the marketplace. Do you know, I never... In the New Testament, Jesus did that all the time. He, he did most of his operating in the marketplace. He didn't do it in the building. He did it in the marketplace. And he said, if you want to hear the gospel, you come to the meeting and we'll get the evangelists to speak. And Jesus said, go out to the marketplace and be witnesses. Pray for the sick. Raise the dead. I don't know if you've done that yet, but you might soon. That's what we do. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a meeting and having an evangelist. There's a place for that. Alpha, great opportunity. What a tool to introduce people to the gospel. But don't let that say, well, we have an evangelist come every month and we have Alpha, so I don't need to do it. Yes, you do. But not because you must. But because... You have a heart to see people born again coming into touch with Jesus, just being who you are. So, both those myths are wrong, but they're made up from concepts that we learnt. And if Jesus was here, he'd break them all because they're not his rules, they're ours. After this, Jesus said in Acts, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And then he said to the disciples in Matthew 28, Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. I will be with you. So what's the key to dealing with all these rules and regulations that we make up for ourselves and making judgments about everybody we meet, whether they don't keep our rules or not? Well, the key is to live by the Spirit. That's what Jesus did. He just lived by the Spirit and obeyed the Spirit. And we know in our heart, when we do something, that we know it's not right. When we obey that. But we don't impose it on everybody else. Because that's making judgment. Galatians says, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law, you've been set free. Hallelujah. And then he gives a list, doesn't he, of the uh, outworkings of the acts of the flesh. And it's interesting that some of them we take notice of, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and we sort of... Don't look at the idolatry and the witchcraft and the discord and the jealousy and the selfish ambition and the factions and dissensions. But actually those are the things really that cause all the trouble. <laughs> <coughs> you know, I'm not staying in this church because they changed the way they put the chairs out. You, know, you think that's the joke. I've heard that. I'm not coming again. You know that, And then, that's my seat. Why is somebody sitting in my seat? Seriously, that's, that's the way it is. That's what we do. Now, it's all right if that's the seat you usually sit in. That's fine. No, who cares? But it's when you make it a rule and get across when someone else sits in it. We were at a church recently, which will remain nameless to protect the guilty. And um, one other guy said to me, do you know, we had a guy the other week, he came in uh, and he, he walked to his seat and there was someone sitting in it. So he actually said, Could you move, please? That's my seat. <laughs> I, I can't believe he did that. Did <laughs> he did? You see, so I think he thinks that if he sits in that one, one and not that, that one, he won't get any anointing over there. You know, that, that's mine. That's where the anointing comes. <laughs> I know it's funny, but actually, it's pretty serious. <laughs> We're called to be filled with the Spirit and live by the Spirit, not the law or the letter. Fear, guilt, feeling unworthy, pride, a critical spirit, are all products of legalism. If you feel a fear about something, somewhere down the line, someone's imposed something on you, legalistically, you've taken hold of it, and it's crippling you. It's legalism. You're free in Christ. You don't have to be fearful. That's freedom. Guilt. You walk about because 10 years ago you did something bad and you still feel guilty now because somebody said to you back then how guilty you are and never ever brought you to the place where you were told that Christ has set you free from guilt. So you've got it still. It's because of legalism. You still feel guilty. Feeling unworthy because somebody came out earlier, somebody told you, years ago, you will not account to much." You know, I heard an interview with Alan Sugar on the television some while back, and he said he was told that when he was at school. "You will never amount to much." Well, <laughs> Now, I know that's in the worldly sense, but he's done pretty well for himself. Now how much more in the spiritual sense? when somebody says to you, you won't amount to much, is that a lie? You will amount to whatever God wants you to amount to. It may not be much in your eyes. And it's irrelevant. It's what it is in God's eyes that matters. And, you know, another rule we impose, I want to be this, or I want to be that. So, Well, do you, you know, what does God want you to be? Not what you want to be. What does... God wants you to be. And John 8, a story there of the woman taken in adultery. And uh, you remember the story where the Pharisees deliberately brought a woman to Jesus. Actually, they wanted to trap him, it says. They said, The, the law says, the law says, this woman taken in adultery should be stoned. I mean that's, that's what the law said that's the letter of the law so what did Jesus do well he used his ability to listen to the spirit so he says fine that's what the law says ok any of you without sin you throw the first stone and they all walked away that's amazing wisdom isn't it it's risky because there could have been one there so that's me I've got no sin Smack. But it was risky but it was true and then Jesus says to the woman so where are your accusers and she says there are none Lord so what does he do well I'll deal with you then you wicked woman Because I'm Jesus, the Son of God. I can do it. Because they couldn't, but I can. But he didn't do that, did he? He said, neither do I condemn you. Mm. That's the amazing thing about the Gospel this morning. Jesus' words to everybody in this room who is condemning themselves is, I do not condemn you. The says there is no condemnation to so those who are in Christ. She wasn't in Christ yet. Now what did he then say to her? He said, now go and do not do it again. Go and sin no more. So he didn't let her off. But he didn't deal with her as the letter of the law commanded. He dealt with her in the true nature of the law which Jesus said The greatest law is this. It fulfills all the law of God. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's huge. Another verse is the whole law is summed up in this. Love the Lord the God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and your neighbour as yourself. So the true law is how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. That's the true law. True. And when we've got a heart that's been changed by the living God, it will radically change our relationship with people around us. And if we find ourselves at any time picking holes in what other people are doing, criticizing the leaders of the church, or doing any of that stuff, we have to stop ourselves short and so, say, What am I doing? This is the letter again, the rules that I've imposed, I don't like. So now, what I need to do is withdraw and go to God and say, is this of you? Is this what is happening in church from the spirit, even though I don't like it? <laughs> because in the end it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, if it's from God we have to embrace it, whatever it is. And it's how we judge one another. We make judgments about each other, usually by the first impression we get when we see them. I mean, we just sold a house, as I said earlier. We had to make sure that the first impressions that people got were good. Don't matter about what's hidden. Just what they see impresses. Now, I, I can't do that. I've got to make sure it's all right. Because, you know, I can't cheat to people. But isn't that true? People make a judgment. When they see something, they say, this is great, we'll buy this, even though there may be something falling apart. They've they've been sold by first appearance. We make judgments on situations of people by our first appearance. We say, oh, I don't like them. Oh, I, oh, I don't like that. The greatest commandment. I'm going to read it, even though I've said it. Teacher, which... Again, you've got to remember that this was the Pharisees trying to trick him up, trick him again. What is the greatest commandment of the Lord? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour and yourself. And this, this verse is probably the most important part of that. All the law and all the prophets... Hang on these two commandments. Mm -hmm. The entire law, Galatians says, which we read earlier, is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just stand. Mm -hmm. wants to set you free this morning. I think there's many people in this room who have been under the law. In all sorts of ways. Some of you put yourself under it. Some were put under it. But you're under the law. You're not free. You're making judgments about yourself, about other people all the time. And uh, you're not even aware sometimes you're doing it because it's just part of who you are. God wants to set you free from that this morning. Just to be free from that kind of spirit. Some of you suffer from guilt.